0: Forgotten Flicks, episode one, two, three. Joe versus the Volcano, 1990. This life, life, what a joke. This situation, this room. Uh, Joe, maybe you should just go. You look terrible, Mr. Waturi. You look like a bag of shit stuffed in a cheap suit. Not that anybody could look good under these zombie lights. I,
1: I, I can feel them sucking the juice out of my eyeball. Suck, 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 300 bucks a week. That's the news. For 300 bucks a week, I've lived in this sink, this used rubber.
0: You watch it, mister.
1: And Frank, the coffee, it stinks it tastes like arsenic these lights give me a headache if they don't give you a headache you must be dead so let's arrange a funeral you
0: better get out of here i'm telling you you're not telling me nothing i'm telling you why i ask myself why have i put up with you i can't imagine but i know it's Fear, yellow freaking fear. I've been too chicken shit afraid to live my life, so I sold it to you for 300 freaking dollars. Oh, wait! You are lucky I don't kill you! You're lucky I don't lift your freaking throat out! But I'm not going to! Maybe you're not so lucky at that. Cause I'm gonna leave you here, Mr. Wahawaturi.
1: What could be worse than that?
0: Hello. And welcome to the Forgotten Flicks Podcast, the podcast that will occasionally jump into a volcano. And we and we would do it just for an orange soda. I am Joel, and I'm joined as always by my personal favorite Fliberty Gibbet.
1: Jason. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that the show sucks out people's souls cuz suck suck little... sucks and by the suck, way suck.
0: I'm pretty sure he was saying suck there.
1: Yes cuz that sucks is... out my soul.
0: Suck sucks but it was the way you sang saying it it didn't really sound like suck. <laughs>
1: It didn't. Yeah,
0: so I actually had to truncate that down because there was a whole piece in in between there where he talks to Dee, Dee about the smell and the woman. And, yes, and it's like that was boring. I like the part where he just goes ape shit on the moss. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so went with that instead. So yes, Jason, Joe versus the volcano from 1990. I always want to say yes. 89. I know it's not, but for some reason in my head, that's what's there. But 90 is a motion picture a picture that has motion. Yes, it is. It is a movie that you grew up hating. (laughs) You've seen it like half a time and you loathe it. Correct. I'm hoping this is a Kevin Spencer favorite. So that the beginning of the show just makes him immediately go out of his skull with anger and rage. Go crazy and punch the computer. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: yes, you are, you are absolutely 100% oppositely correct. Um, (laughs) I I
0: usually am oppositely correct.
1: (laughs) Uh, this is a movie I've seen a ton of times. It is one of my favorite movies. Um, and it's – I. whenever anyone asks me the question, you know, I've had it several times, especially as you meet people that know, oh, you're into movies. stuff. So what's your favorite movie? Uh, I actually loathe that question because there's – I don't have a favorite movie – There's so many genres. It's not a fair question to ask.
0: If you're a movie fan, it's not a fair question to ask because it depends on your mood and any number of other variables.
1: Yes, and what you're talking about is the best at this, the best at this. It's it's really tough to nail down and say just one. However, uh, for many years, I pretty much just settled on. You know what? I'm just gonna say Joe versus a volcano because I love the movie. Uh, It's quirky, and most people are like, "Uh, "What movie?" Yeah, I was (laughs) gonna say you
0: just like to see people twitch. Yes.
1: Uh, and and it, so this this is one that it, I have a grand fondness for, and um, I'm very glad we're doing it. I we've actually I don't think we've ever talked about doing it maybe once. Yeah, no, we did. Did I'm we
0: pretty sure we did early on? Yeah. OK,
1: so I was tickled to death that we were actually covering this movie. I figured we had to cover it before I left. And um, the fact that you wanted to cover it made me very, very, very excited.
0: Good. Well, uh, because on the flip side of that, I've never seen the damn thing. I'm very, you've familiar. never seen it, never, not even once. No, and it's what this is not one of those War of the Rose situations where, after I'm like, you know, there's a I lot kinda, of yeah. no, this is literally like the only things I remembered from it were from the trailer because I remember the trailer very well. Okay, I remember vaguely, I remember when it came out, I remember the trailer playing, I remember wanting to see it because I've always been a Tom Hanks fan. Obviously, Spielberg was attached to it, so mm. I really wanted to see it from those perspectives, but then it came and went, it was a flop at the box office. So mm-hmm. I didn't, it just went off my radar. And then over the years, my wife loved it. I had other friends who loved it. You love, everybody loves this movie. And I was like, okay, my guess is you all are just unbelievably, Idiots. no, no, I didn't say giddy. It's, you know, it takes one to know, one, you know what you're saying. <laughs> I, that's true. I was thinking more along, along the lines of your brains are just riddled with C and D because <laughs> on paper, and, quite frankly, the title, because we'll get into that. I think one of the things that probably hurt this movie is the title, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, probably. That being said, I, I totally went into this thinking it was going to—I was trying to have an open mind. Thinking, okay, I probably won't be bored, because Tom Hanks is always entertaining. It's got Meg Ryan in it in her very, very cute phase. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah, know, it, it had a lot going for it in that way. But— I didn't I truly didn't know what to expect I, I just figured really goofy comedy and this is one of those movies to me that depending on the angle you come at it will dictate how much you love it and or really get something positive from it which I realize is somewhat vague but there's I'm it re- is yes so the question becomes how what did I take from it no 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 we'll get to that oh okay, I mean, yeah we'll get to that way to the very very end like the last two okay. seconds of the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, not that long. <laughs> uh, no, but can we get into the trailer? Because I want to do the synopsis. Uh, yes, and uh, <laughs> I do have the trailer. I
0: believe it... I think it's actually a reasonably not so uh, unreasonable trailer though I could be wrong. It's either a minute or two minutes. I can't remember which. We, we will now ignite it and find out. Two minutes. No, it's not bad. Yeah. Once upon a time, in the middle of a deep, dark factory an average joe joe banks lived a very boring life good morning hi joe what's with the shoe losing my soul yeah until one day he found out his life was over i'm not sick except for this terminal disease that's right you have some time left mr banks live it well and that's joe banks when his adventure began. You and I might be able to help each other. I want to hire you to jump into a volcano. A total red carpet situation. It's wine, women, and song in the sweetest little paradise you ever saw. A real journey. Are you Joel Banks? Yeah. Warner Brothers presents Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, Joe, Joe, Joe Banks, in the story of a man, a mountain, and a miracle. Take Written and directed by John Patrick Shanley, the Academy Award-winning writer of Moonstruck. I love you. I love you, too. I've never been in love with anybody before, either. It's great. I am glad. But
1: the timing stinks. (laughs) I gotta go.
0: Joe versus the Volcano. Me, excuse me, spoiler alert, please. Huh. There's an oldie but a goodie. I <laughs> guess you're welcome because it had the huh,
1: at the <laughs> end there. it's storming off. Yes. <laughs> I missed that
0: one. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Of course, I, I love JV's spoiler alerts. I find them to be artistically <laughs> and production-wise far superior to my own. However, that being said, when the fans request, the fans get. Except <laughs> for that whole thing about you and me and the fan fiction thing where they had us. No, that ain't happening. Not because I don't love you, bro. You know. <laughs> uh, but yes, Jason, would you like to <laughs> enlighten us with... <laughs> The synopsis about well, it, Joe versus the volcano.
1: <laughs> well, the trailer told you uh, the basic story. It's it's uh, the story of Joe Banks, played by Tom Hanks, and he is a nobody living a nobody's life, and he is diagnosed with a terminal illness. And this guy comes along, Mr. Waturi, played by Dan Hidea, who tells him he wants to, I'm sorry. No, Lloyd, yeah, uh, that's the boss. Yeah. His boss is, is Dan. Dan. Yeah. Lloyd Bridges yeah. plays, uh, this rich guy who is trying to mine this rare mineral, uh, from this Island. And the only way he can get rights to mine the Island is if he gets someone to jump into the volcano, because the natives believe that if someone jumps in, it appeases the volcano God and, uh, they're fine. So, uh, Mr. Grainamore, who is Lloyd Bridges, he comes to Joe Banks and says, I will pay you and you will have everything up to the volcano, a a boat, a a sailing vessel to take you there, uh, all the clothes you want. He hands him all these credit cards and says, have at it. And so Joe decides to do it. um, And the adventure is him going to the volcano and um, jumping in or not or whatever happens at the end, which we'll get to. The adventure um, begins, as it were. The adventure begins. So so that's kind of the basis basic telling of it along the way he meets some people, uh, including Meg Ryan. And and Meg Ryan. And Meg Ryan and Meg Ryan, <laughs> who actually plays three different characters in this movie. She was
0: Eddie Murphying it. I actually I would say before Eddie Murphy, but he did coming to America, he did the same bit.
1: Now he that's true. Multiple
0: yeah. Multiple characters, so. And that was um, before
1: this. She, she played Dee Dee in the beginning. She was the one that was working in his office. Who was um, the one you mentioned where he, he actually goes on this diatribe about smelling her and all this stuff? But um, she's like a secretary in the office. And then there's Angelica, who he meets, which is Mr. A- Granamore An-
0: Angelica, Angelica.
1: Who is Mr. Granamore. He talks
0: daughter. like she's in a 1940s Warner <laughs> Brothers picture. <laughs>
1: You sound like Jim Carrey in the mask. Yes, <laughs> yeah.
0: Let me show you something!
1: <laughs> oh, no.
0: Like, uh, no, that was Fire Mushroom. I know it was. Okay. Like my, my de facto. That or, remember all those, who practice evil. Those are the, <laughs> my
1: two de facto Jim Carrey impressions. That's, that's all you can do. Um, and then eventually, and uh, well, Angelica's job is to get Joe to the boat, uh, this beautiful yacht, uh, sailing vessel, and then Patricia... Is Mr. Granamore's other daughter? They are twins, and uh, Patricia actually sails the boat to the but island. We,
0: no, refresh. We're, we're, were they twins or half sisters? I'm legitimately not remembering. I think they might. I think they were half sisters because I remember thinking they got to be
1: twins. I think they're half
0: sisters because yeah. they look alike. And then, yeah, I think I think you're right, but I couldn't remember myself. Yeah.
1: So she plays three characters in it, uh, and uh, Patricia, the last character she plays, kind of becomes his uh love interest um towards the end you know she kind of falls for him and his bravery so yes that's that's the basis of it so we can get into talking about it but that's kind of the main story what was the Uh,
0: what was the middle meg ryan's name the one who talked like this angelica 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 yes she's a real flibbity flibbity gibbet
1: she's a flibbity gibbet
0: (laughs) a flibbity gibbet i love that word (laughs) And, and of course, we can't forget the most important element of this whole movie. Do you remember what that is?
1: Uh, Lightning? Nope. (laughs) Volcano? Nope. Uh, The Waponi Woo? (laughs) Oh, that's right so here you have this celebrated play in the background so so here you have this celebrated actor right who has been acting for or had been uh passed away in 2003 robert stack acted for decades has been a character actor in some uh huge tv shows and uh, movies and the only thing i remember him from or the thing that i first think of him from and i remember his mother is unsolved mysteries yeah, this, an airplane an airplane,
0: one.
1: yes, yes. <laughs> and now Joe versus locator. but that song—that <laughs> yes. song is really
0: redundant when you let it play long.
1: It's still well, because creepy. Because to have stuff happening in the background. That's like true. You're to, yeah,
0: you supposed to have all the. On uh, this, yeah, this episode.
1: Okay, that's creepy.
0: Of oh, mystery. Dude, the oh, oh, that's creepy. The YouTube video I found that I'm playing right now—it just—it was all black screen up until the last, like, the first minute, and all of a sudden just the slightest highlights on this black cat's face, but it was like a photo like a really well done photo. But it was, just like, it was so friggin' creepy. And that's it. It like, went back to black and like, that's it.
1: It's like random. I, 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 I may have nightmares. An okay, <laughs> enough of that. Yeah. Um, Robert Stack plays his doctor, Dr. Ellison, who plays a uh, the character, or at least the name of the character, plays a part in a twist at the end. But yes. um, Robert Stack, there are lots of people in it, actually. Um which is odd because one of the things that I always felt about this movie is that it's a relatively small cast, or it's one of those movies to me that feels like a small movie. Well, especially in at the beginning. Other, the scope, than the, yeah.
0: other than the extras as they're walking in, because so much of that office scene is just Dan Hedaya, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, and Frank.
1: Yes, and I think what it is is that every scene that occurs is two either one, two or three people. Yeah, it's... and then then there's like a lot of extras. Yes, yeah. so like you've got the scene in the beginning where they're all marching into the factory yep. which by the way is a factory where they make prosthetics including prosthetic testicles which are
0: Wait, what didn't it say they were what was it they uh, was it were they the number 1 in <laughs> rectal
1: probes wasn't that like their thing? Yeah, it's like that was their slogan for the company. They did like oh, Vaseline. medical and, like <laughs> they had a huge thing of Vaseline that was spraying <laughs> out. That was so Wrong, (laughs) yes, so um, but all the extras walking in there, you've got the one scene with in the uh restaurant, the kind of full of the diners, and then you've got the scene with the extras on the island, all the natives that are there. That's it, but there are lots and lots and lots of in between scenes where it's really just two people or three people, and uh, it's that care it's from character to character, and it almost has always felt to me like it's Tom Hanks. Just moving from character to character.
0: It's kind of like uh, a kind of like a pre-Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump.
1: Yeah, yeah, similar to that. In because that really, just, in the same way.
0: The there's really no true antagonist. I mean, Forrest Gump. One of the things about it, like it or or hate it, that regardless, there's no antagonist really in it.
1: it no, no single bad guy. Yeah, or, and, and and there's yeah. mo
0: there's moments where different people do things that are mean or whatever to him. Yeah. But as far as a driving uh, protagonist-antagonist, you know, Forrest is the, pro. maybe you could argue, protagonist and the antagonist. But in this movie, a similar thing, because the volcano's not really the antagonist. It shows up at no, the very end. All. And the other, even the characters that are sort of setting him up, other than their brief moment at the beginning, they're not driving it.
1: So No, and, and even the... <sighs> I would say that Mr. Grainamore, the guy that uh, Lloyd Bridges in the beginning, who actually yeah, but he's just the catalyst. He isn't the antagonist. No, no. I, I would say that he is as much just a plot device yeah, yeah. as the Vulcans. Yeah, it's exactly. just an yep. excuse to get things moving. Yep. Um, so it, it's it feels like a small movie, but there's lots of uh, famous people. So I, well, I mentioned and the, set
0: and the sets in, in general. I understand because this movie was not cheap. And they, you can tell that the production design, they spent a lot, because one of the things I did want to talk about was The Factory. So you'd go ahead and finish your part yeah. and then we'll bring The Factory. Okay,
1: up. so it, it, it feels like a very small movie, but there's lots of people you'd recognize. So uh, you mentioned Robert Stack, Lloyd Bridges. Um, Abe Vigoda was, oh, yeah. it, was the chief. Yes, he was the chief of the Islanders. Um, Dan Hidea was the uh, Mr. Waturi. He was the um, Wat- boss. Waturi. Atsu Waturi or something like that. Yeah, yeah he was uh, Tom Hanks' boss. Um, which he was also in commando, remember? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And oh I did I did want to say, do you think that the because the way Tom Hanks says it, do you think his character is supposed to be making fun of his name like the Watusi? Remember that song? The Wa o Watusi? Like I was thinking, yeah, yeah, he always said been. it, it's what I thought he was trying to do. It Really doesn't mean yeah. anything. It's just the way I took it. And also, <laughs> Ava Goda, did you ever watch Barney Miller?
1: I think we've had this conversation. Yes. Okay. I yeah. still love that show. Go ahead. Yeah, I did too. My dad was a big fan of it, and I, I sat and watched yeah, it. Yeah.
0: Same thing with me. My parents. I remember them watching it. And yeah, seventies, right? Late seventies. Yeah, it's late seventies into the early eighties. I think it was still on. Really? I think
1: so. Seventy. I don't. I don't remember the dates. I just remember watching it. It was the uh, the whole detective show, right? Yeah. It was so. like a,
0: a a funny police procedural. You know, Kind of like, um, S- like a law and order SVU funny police procedural,
1: yeah, yes, so, yeah, hilarious, yes, just like that, absolutely hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's so sad. Um, and then it also had, um, uh, uh Ozzy Davis pointed mm-hmm. that out. Oh, I love right? that guy. Uh, he was he, JFK, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, he was in Bubba Hotep. Um, but he played the chauffeur, and at one point when Joe Banks has uh, made the deal and is needs to get dressed or uh, get clothes and stuff to travel, he uses the um, credit cards. I guess they're like unlimited credit cards. This is like Amex Black back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls up. It is a Bentley, I would say, a Bentley limousine. Yeah, looked like it. So high-class, super expensive, not your run-of-the-mill Lincoln stretch limo that you took to the prom. This is a rich person, uh, beautiful car. Uh, he plays the chauffeur, and his character kind of tries to help um, Joe. He, he said, you know, is there going to be formal? Are you going to be relaxed? I love the part where he's Joe is completely clueless and says, I don't know what I need. I'm going on a trip. Uh, and he, Ozzy pulls the car over, gets out and gets in the back with him mm-hmm. and starts talking with him there. And that, that was kind of a cool scene. So he was in it. And then Amanda Plummer mm-hmm. uh, played Dagmar. She was like the deckhand. hand, uh, the,
0: um, was she supposed to be like almost the captain of the ship?
1: Yeah. She was kind of the main, the manager. Well, of the ship? Took it, well yes. Like she was sort of the, the ball. I took it like she was like first mate. Okay. Because Patricia owned that boat, or at least she was the one that, you know, cause her dad gave it to her um as payment and um she was the main captain but i took it as dagmar was kind of her um first mate manager of the ship kind of thing um but she was anyway so she was on there uh and then um there was somebody else oh oh um the last person i wanted to mention is or uh when they went to the island the waponi woo
0: okay okay hold on is this who one of them was in a very very early role Yes. I, I heard his voice. I was like, is that who I think it is?
1: Yes. So the funny thing is, they are all painted up. So they've got these giant feathers all over their heads. They're face painted. So it's really hard to make out who any of them are, really, except Abe Bagoda, because his face is completely showing with no paints or not much paint, anyway. Um, but at one point, Joe and uh, Patricia, you know, they're floating up. They, they The ship had, had sunk and they're floating on these. Uh, um, chest that he bought, you know, these big steamer trunks and they, ah, oh, they finally get up and all the ponies come out and he's in part of a tuxedo. She's in a party dress and they get out and they climb up to onto the beach and all these Waponi are around them. And they're all these natives. And one guy comes up and he's like, are you Joe? And he says, well, well yes. And they all kind of freak out. And the, the, the main guy there's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa are you joe banks (laughs) (laughs) and he says oh yes and of course that guy is nathan lane yeah but as soon as he talked though you knew exactly who it was his voice was perfect yeah his voice was perfect but you wouldn't tell and and it was just a bit part he was the only that was the only part he played in it um but uh there is also carol Kane. Uh, play the hairdresser yep. that did him up. And then one of the Waponi, which I didn't know until I saw in the uh, IMDb credits, was uh, Branscombe Richmond. That's a ring of bell. Oh, if you saw his face, you'd recognize him. At least I hope you would if you watched Renegade from 1992. You remember Renegade?
0: stupid ass show with the motorcycle. <laughs> Yes, it was. And L- it L- Lorenzo was. Llamas, right? Lorenzo Llamas, Yeah, yes. no, I wouldn't have known because it, I never watched that show.
1: Like Reno Reigns and his sidekick, Bobby Sixkiller, was Branscomb Richmond. He was, uh, <laughs> you know, as sucky as that show was, it was 110 episodes, man. <laughs> really? Yes. Cold track, ran. the Night Stalker, only lasted 20. What the <laughs> hell is
0: wrong with this world? And
1: for five years. Just so they could get it in syndication. Five years. And let me tell you, Branscombe has there's got no justice bullet. in this world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we got Brands a bunch Guns of Guns. renegade fans who are a How dare you? Lorenzo Lamus was amazing.
1: <laughs> I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so that, those are all the famous folks. So um, that's it. And then you said you wanted to say something about the cost and the set? Well, specifically,
0: I didn't say, I mean, the, I, I know the budget was substantial. I haven't honestly looked that up. But- the spe- one thing one that I just had, you know, my, my notes, you know, because since I was the newbie to this motion picture, <laughs> I took copious notes. All yes, right. The first thing I noticed was how much, and I don't know if this is intentional, though I wouldn't be surprised if it was, that the opening shot when they're all coming up to the factory. How Have you ever seen Fritz Lang's Metropolis? Oh, God, yeah. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? The classic yeah, silent yeah. Uh, yep. sci-fi picture? Okay. If you go back and look at that, because obviously that gets into that sort of the factory, yeah, the factory that, yeah. that that Orwellian nightmare vibe to the whole thing, yeah, very much reminded me of that. I mean, and I, it very well, it oh, yeah, it, it could have been intentional. My guess is it probably was. So I, yeah. I, I like that. I also liked that his office literally and figuratively was like this representation of hell, or at least maybe it's just hell for me, but <laughs> I'm thinking hell from the majority of folks. But, but, yes. but I loved that when he, like just, the, there was all these really cool, subtle things. Like, uh, they asked him something about you know, his shoe, oh, I'm losing my soul. Yeah. And you go, he's yes. talking about his shoe, but no, he's really not talking about his shoe. Uh, the fact is one little symbol of hope and life This little daisy is growing in this cement-covered, filth-covered, just hellhole. It's sludgy. Yeah, it's growing out of this one crack, and sure enough, one person steps on it. And I love that when he comes back after he's diagnosed with his brain cloud, (laughs) that he comes back and he actually takes the time to not really resuscitated as much as I guess we like, re- prop, it back, up. prop yeah. it back up and get it to is like, no, I'm not going to let you here. I just, it was those little touches that immediately jumped out of me. Okay. Also total has nothing to do with anything, but it's one of those weird connections. My brain makes Uh interesting side note. His name was Joe banks, thus Mr. Banks. And years later was star in a movie called saving Mr. Banks.
1: Banks, ah. ah, ah, it means
0: <laughs> nothing. But I came up with it. So of And it's course, in your head. Yeah, and in my head, yes. So, yes, my, one of my other notes, anal probes and Vaseline, <laughs> right, right next to Fliberty Gibbet. <laughs> I also, I loved that once, because the office, that was one of the things I always remembered. I must have seen a clip because I thought when I was younger, he worked in a morgue because the lighting, that green Oh, yeah. Fluorescent no. lighting reminded me of a morgue so much. And I loved that juxtaposition of going from that world, that bleak gray. And, and by the way, just side note, is it me or are there a lot of movies, especially horror movies? I'm going to call you out horror movies a lot today that seem to go out of their way for that bleached out look. Yeah, that they were using at the beginning of this movie to indicate this hopeless, just fatalistic nightmare yeah. of an existence. Yet, we have movies now that go from beginning to end that look like that. Hey, here's a clue, guys. Using it to symbolize something for a point in your movie, fine. Beginning to end, not so much. So, anyway, (laughs) that's just a side note, my personal opinion. So, yes, they have – and then as he gets – he breaks free. Because, of course, like you said, he's diagnosed with this terminal – I'm using quote fingers right now – illness. And how the color starts to slowly come back into him And his world, like the moment when he and I guess it's Dee who are about to go to his uh, apartment and they're standing on the ferry, I guess it is. And you could see the skyline of New York. But the way the buildings are, it's very whimsical and fantastical because like the colors of the buildings aren't realistic at all. They're just they're like these really vibrant Oh, almost neon, like purples, very almost eighties to me, like, you know, the color scheme. And then later on when they, when they're outside of in front of his apartment, did you notice each window in the apartment, the lighting was very similar? Yeah. Every light, yes. every, every window has like a different color light and they were very similar to that, that the horizon of New York.
1: So I just, one of the things, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. One of the things I, I love about this movie and it's, it's easy to dismiss uh, because on its surface, and like you said, the description and even the trailer, it's this kind of funny, quirky comedy about, you know, uh, Tom Hanks. And it's there's, um, you know, uh, he's jumping into the volcano and it, you know, it, 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 it can be cheesy and it looks like it's just kind of a ridiculous, funny, cheesy movie. But there's so much intention in almost every single thing. And one of the things I love is every time I watch it, there's something else I see. Yeah. And it feels like, I mean, you look at it, this is a little movie. It's, it didn't do well. It's not well known. It's not a big blockbuster kind of thing. And, you know, the guy who wrote it, um, was famous for Moonstruck, but really didn't do anything else well, major. Well, he well, he and, had
0: been a playwright. And that's the one thing I was going to get get to, because to me, a lot of the dial, the dialogue in this movie, especially for this kind of movie, I, I yes. mean, to, you know, throw into that bucket that early eighties, early nineties kind of cutesy rom-com kind of movie if you really pay attention, the dialogue it's actually really good and it, you could tell and to your point it always seems like it's a couple people talking that's because yes. it
1: you could tell it was written by a playwright yes i'm so glad you, you pointed that out because one of the things i've always felt about this is even when i first watched it when i was younger i remember feeling like this doesn't feel like a movie And and that sounds weird to say, but it doesn't feel like a typical movie. And I was never able to really put my finger on why. And a big piece of it is because it's more like a play. It's Mm. the scene to scene to scene. And it has the same kind of interplay and the same kind of dialogue and the script. And um, it it never felt like it was the flow of a movie, never felt like it was the pace of a movie, none of that.
0: No, I agree. And I think that... The reason why, though it has this cinematic quality, is because the production design of it is so grandiose and so yeah. big. So it, it ends up uh, there's a lot of movies that would have suffered because of that. They would yeah. have they would have had these little moments, lots of people talking, and the knock on it would be, oh, "I was boring, it's just people talking." I want to see a movie because movies and plays are different. Now, yes. I, I there's a movie. It does I wish it connected to this because I don't think I've ever been able to use it as a pick. But did you ever see Death and the Maiden? No. Sigourney Weaver and Ben Kingsley. It's based on a play.
1: No, I, don't think I am so, telling no.
0: you nothing other than to freaking watch this thing. It takes place in a single cabin in one night. There's three characters, and the other guy, he was the bad guy in Lethal Weapon 3, and his name is completely escaping me. I'm going to have to probably cheat. What's it called? Death and what? Death and the Maiden. And it was a play. Uh Uh-huh. And it's a thriller. It totally takes place in this one location. Uh, Yeah, it came out in 1994, the movie version did. It -hmm. was, yeah, Sigourney Weaver, Ben Kingsley, Stuart Wilson played the the husband of Sigourney Weaver. There's a couple Uh other small parts but they are the main characters and the i well it says it in the if you read the actually have you have you read any did you go to the imdb imdb
1: no okay don't i wrote it down on a piece of paper Yeah,
0: don't read anything about it because i went into it cold i just knew sigourney was in it it was right after lethal weapon 3 came out which i was a big fan of and you and i both acknowledge we have the connection where you didn't you go to the orlando explosion for lethal weapon 3
1: no, yes, yeah, to when they did the uh, oh, old uh, City Hall. City Hall, and I yeah. went to
0: the, at the very end, the end credits, they blew up an old hotel in St. Pete, and I was there yep. front row when that happened, so it's kind of <laughs> cool that you and I were both <laughs> Yeah. behind, you know, I like, got to witness a movie being to made. The behind the scenes of that yeah, movie, it's kind of yeah. cool. So, I love these two, three, I know it's not great, I don't care, and, but this guy was the bad guy in it, so I was like, oh, I want to see this movie, and so I went in cold. Holy crap. Good. It's intense as hell. <laughs> Gotcha. But not a lot happens, yet a lot... It's emotionally violent. Like, yes. very emotionally violent. But it's yeah. really riveting, and it's a play. I mean, you could tell this is a freak of play, but they did shoot it in such a way... Actually, the director was Roman Polanski. I completely forgotten that, so there is that element. Well, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you know, the fact that you know, he did... All, all the personal crap aside, you know, he did Chinatown, Rosemary's Baby, I mean, fantastic yep. filmmaker. So it, he was able to give it the scope it needed, but my, going back to Joe... I feel like that's why it works because it also it felt cinematic, yet it felt intimate like a play, which is like what you said. There was always the scenes that mattered were small. And then you'd have these big epic sort of moments.
1: Yes. And it and it played into the emotion of the moment. So, you know, there's so many subtleties in the in the movie that it's it's hard to explain to somebody who just reads about it or has never seen it or maybe seen bits. But there is so much brilliance in the subtlety in this. One of the things I love, there's a scene where uh, they have been on the sailing ship, on the yacht, right? It's Patricia's yacht. It's actually her dad's yacht. Gave it to her. One of two. Tweedledum, Tweedledee. She gets one of them. And uh, it sinks, right? Mm-hmm. And the ship sinks. There's this tragic moment. This big, epic moment. This is the, the – it's a hurricane is what happened or a, a storm, right? Is a typhoon. I think they uh, it yes. a typhoon, yeah. Yes, because they're in the Pacific. It's called a typhoon. Right. So uh, big typhoon comes and and uh waves and big rain and uh the ship goes down, tragic moment, and these four steamer trunks that he bought at the beginning, which the gag is that they are completely indestructible, watertight, you but know. But the they, key but the key is how that ties into
0: Aussie Davis's character telling him about not. Basically, not the whole idea of him not cutting himself cut short. It. And if, yeah. if he hadn't listened to
1: Aussie's advice, yep. he wouldn't have bought those trunks, which then subsequently would save his life. Right. And so the the part where he's with Aussie Davis is this kind of funny moment where he's buying all these kind of weird hamaca schlemmer things. You know, this uh, uh, little bar set. He buys this little putting green and all these little odd things just because. And he, these steamer trunks pop up, and they he pulls them together and ties them with like ropes into this one raft. And so it's this raft. Meg Ryan's character, Patricia, is passed out. She's uh, hit her head because one of the booms of the uh, yacht hit her, knocked her into the water. So she's out cold. And it's just this moment of him on this little raft. And you could tell it's a set. You know, it's a dark set where he's just, I guess, in a tank Mm -hmm. probably, Mm -hmm. right? He's in a water tank, a big water tank. And it's dark and it's meant to look like he's in the middle of the ocean. And he goes back and forth from night and day. And so you get this idea that he's been on the water for a couple of days, no, nothing to drink. And he just has this moment, this very small moment on this four by four set of trunks, where he looks up to the moon and he's, you know, he says, Thank you for my life, because he thinks he's dying. Yeah. That whole thing from the big epic all the way down to this moment where he's just by himself yep. and that moment is just so huge. And i that's one of my favorites in the whole thing. But it has that feel of just being very small and intimate. Yep. And the moon is ridiculously shaped. I mean, it's its huge. Yeah. Uh, way bigger than it would be. But that's the tone of the entire movie. The skyline and the factory and everything is exaggerated. Well, and one thing I forgot to mention, doesn't the movie begin
0: with – once upon a time, I'm pretty sure it does. I think at the very yeah, probably. And, and so the brilliance of that, that Shanley, the writer and director, the brilliance of it, he's setting it up. It's a fairy tale.
1: So yes, he's it telling gives the story. That,
0: yeah, it, it gives him that leeway. So when these fantastical elements come in, you're, if he hadn't had that, you'd been like, "What the hell's going on?"
1: Yeah, that, yeah. This yes, isn't realistic. Absolutely.
0: You know, you would expect it to be. But there, you, by the, be- the very beginning of the movie, the whole setup, you
1: realize this is a hyper reality. This isn't reality. Reality. It's a fairy tale, and. Uh, it's meant to be told like a story or meant to be experienced like it's a story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, going back for a second, I want to talk about Back to the Factory for a minute. So when he first comes up, they're playing that song, you know, you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Amen. You know, and that, yeah. (laughs) Sing it, brother. (laughs) Um, But that whole concept of him his life has been a waste and he goes crazy on Mr. Waturi, you know, and says uh, that whole, when he snaps that whole scene uh, is probably my favorite in the entire movie, other than that scene where he thinks he's going to die because it's, he sits at his desk. It's this perfect um, pressed metal desk, right? Oh yeah. It's it's very 1960s or fifties
0: industrial.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. Uh, cold, and he's got this case of books, and his job is like updating catalogs. Yeah, like he's just a straight up editor we're, of. No, this, wait. Let's make sure we're clear on this. Updating
0: catalogs for anal
1: probes. Yeah, <laughs> medical devices, right? And the he's in what looks like literally a basement of an industrial building with like dripping water and these flickering fluorescent lights, and he has this one lamp on his I desk. Know. And he turns it on and it it's this lamp and the contrast between the gray and the cold and this warm. Yeah. There literally is like this sphere of warm light that surrounds it. Yes. And it's, it's a scene it's foreshadowing scene. It's a scene of this Pacific Island, right? Uh And it's this volcano on it. It's this orange light and it rotates the, the lampshade rotates around and it kind of has this uh, Hawaiian Pacific Island theme. Um, but then he kind of has this moment because after that, he goes home and that's when uh, he realizes he went to the doctor. No, no, he goes to the doctor, not home. Yeah, goes right. to the doctor. That's, that's when the doctor says, you're dying, you have a terminal illness, you have a brain cloud. Uh, nothing is wrong with you physically, but you're going to die from it. So he goes back to work and that's when he has that moment. And that moment, I know this sounds weird. That moment is what I want my life to be. Yeah. He kind of has that moment of, I have wasted my life by not caring about what I do with my life Mm -hmm. by just sitting here and trading off my precious value.
0: $300 a week.
1: (laughs) I should kill you. You know, that whole thing. But you know
0: what's funny in that moment? I don't think he's talking to the boss. Like, I think it's like, he's so. it's that that whole speech was meant for himself. That guy is a zombie. Yes. It's,
1: it is, has nothing to do with it. It's like the people there don't matter a lick.
0: No, they're, they're He's had that realization. They're plant. They're potted. They're not even potted plants. They're fake, friggin' plastic yes.
1: plants. They're part of the walls. Yeah, they're part of the walls to him. And so, but that whole moment of epiphany, of awakening, of I'm dying, so now my life is worth something, and I'm terribly upset over that because it's been worth something all along, and I just now realized it, and I just woke up. That alone, that theme alone is huge to me. And maybe that's part of the reason why the movie is is it, it, so special to me or why it's kind of uh, uh, drawn me in is it's that whole idea of live your life like you mean it. Yeah. Um, and then so connecting that to the end, not, uh, I'm going to spoil this. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it.
0: Well, yeah, well, I say, fast forward for like 45 seconds to a minute. Although, let's be honest, it's you and you and me talking. So fast forward for like 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, right. 10 minutes. So the idea is, uh, he go. He, the doctor tells him he's dying of this brain cloud. In the very end, Patricia basically springs it on him that the doctor he was going to is not a doctor for everybody. It's only her dad's personal doctor who happens to be the guy that paid him to jump into a volcano, which means the doctor lied to him just to get him to jump into the volcano thinking he was going to die already at that moment. Joe starts to feel his hypochondria come back, which is exactly what he felt in the beginning. I'm always sick. There's always something wrong. My life is ruined. Uh, he starts to feel it. And Patricia calls him on it and says, what are you doing? You have your whole life ahead of you now. Yeah. And he snaps out of it. And it's almost like he, because he was ba- he was reverting back to his old self sure. and he snaps out of it and realizes, yeah, yeah. And then he's fine. Well, because, and then of
0: course- you, because if you think about it, it requ- it re- okay, the, the implication of all that is it requires the seemingly awful news. you got six month, m- months left to live. Yep. I mean, we've all heard that, that adage. If you only had six months left to lose, what would you do? And everybody has their thing. I would do this. Yeah. The question becomes, then why life? the hell aren't you doing it right now? Because here's a newsflash, folks. You're going to die. Every one of us. It's inevitable. You're dead already. You're already dead. You just don't know it yet. Okay? <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, to you, it may seem—well, it could be 60 years. Sure. In a blink, we want to get into how, in geological and you know, cosmological senses, that's like nothing. But the point is that even in human life, like the 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 humanity, sixty years is nothing. So my point I'm trying to make: six months, sixty years, effing live it today. Absolutely. And so that's. I'm I'm done. I'm done, (laughs) dude. I love this movie. (laughs) And this is why, because it's not yes. a perfect movie. This movie's like parents to me, in that it's not a perfect movie, but it makes you think, and it makes you, well, it, it to me just reinforced crap I already believed. But but still, <laughs> but still, it did it in such yeah. a cool way. And I don't think it's really a comedy. It has comedic elements to it, but I saw it more as this fairy tale slash drama with some comedy mixed in. But I yes. saw it more as this. Satire and statement about something that friggin' mattered.
1: Yes, it's not a slapstick comedy. Now there are, like you said, there are funny moments, but I don't see this like an airplane. I don't see this as. as I, don't, I a, don't even see this as. I don't even see this as when Harry met Sally. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I to me,
0: there's here's the problem, and, and, and we can go on to some other stuff here. But this is why I think the title it really, really underserves the movie because on it's such a goofy title. Joe yeah. Joe versus the volcano, and nobody what the hell does that mean? Like is he fighting yeah. a volcano? And I understand what they mean. Like the volcano is his representative of his life, and it's like he's versus yeah, you jump into it finally, take the leap. I get it. I just think that and I and I don't have an alternative off the top of my head, just so we're clear, but yeah. there's something about the title that's off-putting. And I think, and, and, and actually I wanted to, one thing I wanted to uh, bring up, there's a great book they, but they did, it was originally a series of blog posts. Uh, have you ever heard of the AV club? Yes. They're yeah, the the, um, yeah. They're connected the, to the, yeah, they're connected to the onion. Okay. Yeah. But they, they really truly, you know, go through movies They review things. And there was a guy who wrote a series of blog posts. It was called my year of flops. And the, the guy's name is uh, Nathan Rabin and it, it actually is, a, it, they put it into a book form. Well, number 40 was Joe versus the volcano. Now the vast majority of them, the ca- he basically categorizes them down into where they looking back at them, were they actually failures, fiascos or secret successes. He determined Joe versus the volcano was actually a secret success. Really? Yeah. And what I thought in most of them, he didn't, most of them, he just completely lambasted, but, <laughs> but he had a very interesting thing that I think, it, and it's a question I wanted to pose to you. Do movies like Ishtar, geely howard the duck and joe versus the volcano fail and he meant primarily financially because they have terrible titles or are their titles only viewed as terrible because the films were such pronounced box office failures and then he said he came to the conclusion he came to his own conclusion but i i posed that question to you so do you feel like in this case see to me those other movies it wouldn't have matter they sucked sorry howard the duck fans Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, ish, and, um, and all the Ishtar devotees
1: in the audience. I apologize, but I'm going to have to say, I think one of the reasons that this vlog, I think the title had a lot to do, or it had something to do with it at least. I think that was- And the way they marketed it maybe? I think that's a bigger piece of it because you think about who who wrote and directed this. John Patrick Shanley, right? Yeah. So uh, had done Moonstruck in 1987, which was wildly successful, right? Yes, and it was a true romantic comedy. And it was a true yeah. romantic comedy. So he hadn't done much else, and in in the in the film, genre, you know, in, in in Hollywood, right, in the movies. Yeah. So my guess is they marketed Joe versus the volcano as a romance comedy, like Moonstruck. Sure. And because, it was not. And, and mostly playing up that
0: romance between Meg Ryan and yes. Tom Hanks, unless we forget at that moment in time. The baggage that you would have brought into that movie is Tom Hanks is the guy from Big. You probably still would have even had some level of baggage of him from being in like Bosom Buddies and Bachelor Party. And oh, he was
1: in the Burbs yeah, and all, all those uh, kind of uh, yeah. He
0: still was very much the more comedian. He had not yeah. become the serious actor. I think up to that point, the only movie that off the top of my head, that was probably more of a serious movie that he had done, still was labeled a comedy it was nothing in common. That he did with Jackie Gleason. And I remember that was a big deal oh, at yeah. the time. Oh, and the other great, great drama, Turner and Hooch. But other than those two, (laughs) he had, you know, nothing. He hadn't done Philadelphia. He hadn't done Forrest Gump. He hadn't done Apollo 13. Those were several years down the pipeline. So the point being, there was baggage. Meg Ryan, same thing. She was the cute, adorable, you know, America's sweetheart. (laughs) So I think, again, people would have, and word of mouth may have spread, like, Wow, this is not what I thought it was. This is
1: dark, and you know, and people maybe didn't know how yeah. to read it. They didn't know what it was really about. Yes, and I think that's what I think that's the other part of it. One, I think the big failure of the movie was that it was marketed to be like Moonstruck, and that's how they kind of leveraged it. Um, the other piece of it is this is a really hard movie to classify.
0: It really, like is. you I, said, it, yes, it's like Parents it's, or one of this other.
1: Yeah, Parents is a, is it a horror movie? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, not really. I mean, yeah, Yeah. not really. It's sort of, uh, you know, you can dig so many layers. And that's what this one is, is there's so many layers to this movie that you could peel away and say, no, this is the Odyssey, or no, this is uh, a romance. It's kind of a Romeo and Juliet, or no, this is... So it it has so many layers to it like that that it's hard to classify. And I think we've seen in the past, there have been some of those movies that are in those weird in-between spaces that don't do so well, if they're not marketed right... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just for what it really is. And, and this, I think, just kind of fell short. The other part of it, too, is I think this has so much subtlety to it uh, and that there's so many of those little things in it that people miss it. If you go to it looking for a comedy, and I think you hit it right on the head, the mindset you go into this movie to watch it as is how you're going to perceive it when you go through it, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I watched it, I had no idea what it was. It was a blind... Blank. I didn't even know it had been in theaters. It was just one of those that came on. Uh, it was probably on HBO. And I sat down, or uh, VHS tape. I saw. I sat down and watched it, and fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. I had no preconceived notion. I didn't know if it was going to be a comedy and what it was going to be. Um, and that I think is what played into it. Because then I watched it again, and you see more and more and little things, you know, and the the connection between the different scenes and um, all the you know the cool little stuff. Like, did you catch the well, there's a lot of running elements through it. One is the whole soul, right? Because yeah. you said, beginning, he said, Dee Dee so what's up with your shoe? And he's like, I'm losing my soul. Yeah. And he yells at the lights, these things sucking out my soul. And yeah. then, uh, suck, suck, suck. yes. And then uh, Patricia talks about she sold her soul for the boat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea at the end, Abe Bogota's character is the chief. I am the keeper of, uh, of the soul. You know, this is the soul. This is my soul. It's that little voodoo doll thing he had, remember? Yeah. So the whole thing throughout is is really him finding his soul and saving his soul, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece, all did you notice the replication of the shape of the lightning? No. Okay, that's just, that's what, that one took me a while oh, watching it could, the movie. It could, it, could,
0: it could be one of those where I was looking down writing notes. <laughs> too, so. Yes.
1: So if you watch throughout the movie, the most prominent one is when the ship gets struck by lightning. Okay. And it's this kind of weird cartoonish shape of lightning, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's meant to represent the, the crooked path mm-hmm. because in the very beginning, when all the workers are walking in- oh, that's true. It looks like building, a lightning bolt. You're right. It's the same path. When he walks up the volcano to jump in, it's the same path. The lightning that strikes, it's the same shape. So there's like things like that that go throughout the movie that you yeah. st- um, kind of play through. So- that's, and that's what I really liked about it.
0: Uh, and uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find out how- uh, woefully incorrect I was in my assessment that both Siskel and Ebert would have hated this movie because apparently oh, was it a split decision? Well I don't know what Siskel came down on, but Uh-oh. but they did make a comment about Ebert had actually given it three and a half out of four stars. Oh ah. and then years later he featured it in I guess it was his Ebert Fest or something to that effect.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: he made the comment that what was he thinking he should have given it four. Oh, wow. Yeah, which which really surprised me because I figured this would be the kind of movie. Yeah, here it is. Yeah. Roger Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars and called it new and fresh and not shy to take chances. The film achieves a kind of magnif- magnificent goofiness. Hanks and Ryan are the right actors to inhabit it because you can never catch them going for a gag that isn't there. They inhabit the logic of this bizarre world and play it by its rules. He later brought the film to Ebert Fest 2012 and wondered why he gave 3.5 stars instead of four.
1: Wow. And uh, I would like to note, this is the first movie that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan played in together.
0: And then of course they would go on to do two more, right? Cause they did S- yep. uh, Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they might be doing another one. And
0: Vincent oh. Camby, who apparently has a stick up his ass, said not since <laughs> howard the duck has there been a big budget comedy with feet as flat as those of joe versus the volcano
1: <laughs>
0: yeah and the other thing i'm who really co- that again who was that what was Vince, his name Vincent, i don't recognize Vincent. him yeah i don't know who that is who is it well he's at he is actually a very uh well-known and prolific film, <laughs> film critic but the point is is that whatever uh <laughs> yeah. the the uh the budget was 25 million which 1990 wasn't i mean for probably this kind of movie that's a little high yeah
1: i know yeah
0: but here's the thing the box office, now, I don't, I'm don't. i assuming this, I'm assuming is just in the U.S., domestic, mm-hmm. is 30, uh, 39.4. Yeah, so, so it made not, its money back. I mean, yeah, now, if that was worldwide take, that's pretty bad. I mean, that's that's you know, really yeah. on the low, because keep in mind, you almost always have to double a movie's budget because they spend about as much as the original budget on marketing. Yeah, So
1: it, it needs to um, make I, at
0: least 50-plus just to break even.
1: Uh, it's rental, what it made in rentals was half of what it grossed in theaters <laughs> so really that's it 19
0: million so I would have thought it would have done way better yeah
1: rental hmm you would have thought
0: hmm. anyway but yes the point of the matter is um I, I say we jump uh are, are you ready to jump directly into our ratings oh
1: yes I guess I,
0: guess. <laughs> I could talk about this movie for three hours <laughs> All right, not to be a jerk but I'm going first. I'm giving it a 4. <laughs> and here's the thing, it's not a perfect movie. But because of all the points you made, because of the ideas in it, because yeah. I'm pretty much a, a self-development junkie and this movie is the <laughs> yes. greatest like self-improvement movie ever made. <laughs> yes. And I just lo- I loved the message of it to such a degree. This is a solid 4. Possibly it, it it's eakin 4.5. Like it's this is a borderline i am sorry i lost my copy yeah screw it i'm yeah. going five what the oh! hell i'm in a good mood five as soon as you pointed out the, those little things like the the path and all that i'm like oh yeah screw
1: it. this is a five <laughs> and watch it more uh i own it so i'll give it to you and you can watch it watch it more and look for the little things because they throw in little things in every single scene that goes throughout the movie there's a whole list yeah that's awesome. A whole list. Um, yeah, obviously for me this is a this is an absolute five. Um, I would keep it and say, oops, I lost it. But I'll have to say this grew on me because it it took a while for me to realize uh, until I got older, until I was an adult, realize all the themes that were in it. I would not
0: have liked this movie as a kid. No, I could tell you flat I liked it out it now, I would not have liked
1: it. I would have liked it because it was goofy and there were those 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 goofy pieces to it. But I didn't appreciate it until I was older. So um, I probably wouldn't have given it as high a higher rating, but I give it a solid five. Uh, it's a fantastic movie. And I got to tell you, one of the best things about this is that this is two movies that I have blown you away on. This and Ip Man. Oh, that's I'm true. Very, oh, Ip Man. I'm was very fantastic,
0: proud. Fantastic, <laughs> dude. Ip Man was
1: great. <laughs> completely different and for completely different reasons, but I feel accomplished as a human being. Yeah, because you, I you should. And, they, and you. they both together <laughs> almost make up for Police Academy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, almost almost <laughs> no, okay they make up for it
1: oh, i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> we should do Police it wasn't Academy. that bad it, know, it wasn't, it wasn't. Bad. it's still better than gnome named Gnome.
0: nothing is better
1: than a gnome <laughs> named Gnome.
0: <laughs> nice popos <laughs> all right my okay. friend i say we move into our six picks <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, no. <laughs> I hope. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. That This is the music. That was a bit of a Freudian slip because it actually says six picks bumper music. <laughs> I was going to say, I only picked one. <laughs> <laughs> so, your six picks minus
1: five. Minus five. <laughs> what you got? Of my six picks, I'm skipping right to the last one. I'm just. I'm, okay, you know, give us the right best. So give go. us the best one. Let's, we, we don't have time for all those other ones. Um, actually I decided not to connect to, uh, any of the move. I mean the music and all, I wanted to point out one last thing. I do love the soundtrack to this. I don't own a soundtrack, but the songs in it, uh, play to the movie perfectly. So I I do love it, but what I decided to go with is another kind of romantic comedy starring Tom Hanks that I was a huge fan of as a kid. And I haven't seen it in a a long time, but splash from 1984. Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. Is that 84? Um, it was 84. It was, that's
0: a, what is up with Tom Hanks movies? In my head, I always think of that as 82. Yeah. I, I know yeah. you're right, but for some reason, again, in my head, it's an 82. Same thing with Police Academy. That's another one. It always felt like 82 to me, but it's 84. Yeah. That's weird.
1: Yeah. Uh so I I love this movie. It's it's basically the story of Tom Hanks that when he's a kid. Uh, he falls into the ocean and a young teenage girl mermaid kisses him and then later in life he actually finds her for real but when she's out of water she her fins turn to legs uh but when she gets wet her fins turn her legs turn back to fins and so it's kind of this this quirky funny um romance that's blossoming and isn't and it also it, a pg movie with boobies it is it is uh also has john candy oh that's right gene levy oh, uh wow. both so I haven't seen that movie in so long. I barely remember it, man. I think, I think we would be pleasantly surprised. I don't think this would be one of those that CND just because of the cast. Um, and it, it was a pretty, it was a pretty good movie. So um, it, it's good. Tom Hanks comedy, not as deep or as layered as Joe versus the volcano, but it's a good romantic comedy that is funny uh, that, you know, I could see us covering if we, if we did another rom-com, because I think it would be just, that kind of good comedy, but yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, but directed by John, um, uh, by Ron Howard. Yeah, it's of, course. One of his,
0: It was one of his early ones. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> yep. Um, so it was, it was a good one anyway. So that's my pick. Splash. I think that that's is a crazy.
0: fantastic pick. Although I, I could be mistaken, but I think long, long ago you picked that one. It's fine. If you did, if I I'm, may have, but it may have been back at like the six picks day. Speaking of, yeah, yeah it just seems like we t- i just seem it's like either that or i'm having massive deja vu because i seem no to we may it. have and
1: one of the things that uh is it is sticks out in my memory about it is that they have the fountain at one point in the movie she is uh has no money because she comes from the ocean and she trades in a string of pearls which turn out to be worth a fortune uh and she buys him a fountain a full sized like park fountain with the statue on it of a mermaid and buys it and puts it in his apartment. You remember that part vaguely? Yeah. So he says something like, Oh, he loves that fountain. So she buys it for him and has it moved into his apartment. That fountain is currently at Disney MGA or Disney Hollywood studios as a set piece. And you can walk up and see it and all. So it's really there. So I'm always reminded of that movie. If I, if I ever go out there and and see it, just so we're
0: clear, he didn't need that. He had Daryl Hannah as a mermaid turned (laughs) human. (laughs)
1: <laughs> just saying she was quite the hottie in the eighties. Wasn't she? Yep. She was a heartthrob then. Yeah. Yep. I almost forgot about her, but yep. I had a crush on her. That's for sure. Indeed.
0: <laughs> so yes, my pick, my friend is from 1979. Ooh. Old I, school. Uh, and it, I was looking You know, I'm trying to, find, okay, how do I do my pick? Who am I base it on? Well, I wanted to base he's it on Ossie Davis <laughs> just because I think he's a fantastic actor. Unfortunately he's gone now. Yeah. <sighs> But yeah. he was, he left, he left behind a great body of work. He worked mm-hmm. with Spike Lee a lot. And of course, he was in one of my personal favorites, which obviously is not my pick tonight because it didn't come out in 79, which is Bubba Hotep. Yep. But as I was going through, I was like, oh my God, I forgot about this movie. So I'm figuring, well, that's appropriate considering our show. From 1979, I chose Hot Stuff. Do you remember Hot Stuff? Hot Stuff. Um... And it is not a porno. Mm-hmm.
1: No, <laughs> I remember the song. Yes,
0: and it was from uh, yeah, hot stuff, hot stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um. No, I don't really okay. remember it. It it was starred and directed by Dom DeLuise. oh I was a huge Dom Delouise fan back in the eighties. Who wasn't? Yeah. Was yeah. Uh, Cannonball Su- Run. Yeah. Suzanne Plachet was in it. Jerry Reed. Remember him?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. He played in Smokey and the Bandit. Yep. He was uh uh what they call him. Wait, what was his handle? Was it like
0: Snowman or Oh crap. <sighs> Why is the name Cooter coming to mind? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was
1: his name? I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah, but but a, yes, he was he like,
0: was like the bandits, like the truck buddy. driver. Yeah, he was his buddy. And yeah. smoking the bandit. Yes, yeah. I do
1: remember here, Jeremy.
0: Yep. Yeah, but the, and then fourth build was Aussie Davis. Uh, uh Louis Avalos uh, had a bunch of other people in it. And It was this goofy comedy about three... I'm going to just read the IMDb. It's easier than trying to go by memory because it's been forever. Uh, Three cops try to set up a sting by establishing their own fencing operation. They have less than complete support from above, and as they begin mingling more and more with the underworld elements, decide to finance the operation through reselling some of the proceeds. So they end up in a... I remember this much. They're in a pawn shop, and they're, they're setting the whole thing up, and Aussie Davis... Is billed as uh, the captain, John oh, okay. uh, Gilberger. So yeah, he, he's the you know the captain that's you know not liking their shenanigans, and the three cops, of course, being Jerry Reed, Suzanne Plachet, and Don Deluise. And so all these different mm. folks from the neighborhood are coming in trying to fence stuff. And but I, it was one of those that I remember. It must have been on HBO because my memory was that it came on a lot. Now it could have also been like a TBS,
1: yeah, where they yeah. would
0: also play the same sort of seventies. Yeah. staples over and over and over again like during a summer because i remember i must have watched it like four or five times like i really remembered seeing it a lot yet my memory of it is very very foggy because it's probably been for i don't know 25 plus years since i've seen it so mm-hmm. so yeah it, it, but hot stuff 79 as soon as i saw that i was like holy crap i have not thought about that movie and interesting side note uh it's listing donald e westlake as one of the co-writers and he was a very, very, very great novelist. He specialized mm-hmm. in uh, a lot of heist-type books, you know, a lot of crime-type type novels. But he also wrote a screenplay for uh, a movie that we covered long, long ago. And one of my personal favorites is also in the thriller genre. Can you guess what that 1987 motion picture is?
1: Uh, um, Nightmare on Elm Street 7.
0: Negative. <laughs> The stepfather. Oh uh, yes, yes. He wrote yes. he wrote the screenplay for that. I always wish he had written a book version, like if he had novel, done the novelization of his own screenplay, like, like his background or something. What? Well, yeah, because you know the whole book, the stepfather is actually based on a real guy. Remember the whole John List story from America's Most Wanted.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, who killed his whole family and everything? That's what the original quote unquote inspiration was for the story. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, apparently Westlake he wrote the screenplay, but he never didn't do a novel version of it, which I I really wish he had. But oh well. But, yes, yeah, so that's, that was my pick. Hot Stuff from 1979.
1: Wow, oh, I can't believe I haven't heard of that one. I'm going to have to look that up if so I can find it. I think it. you'd like I it. I love Dom DeLuise Yeah, and it's, and that, I... it's
0: that sort of goofy Dom DeLuise, yeah. late 70s, early 80s comedy. It's, a, yeah. it's got that vibe. You know, PG, you know, kind of like one of those family-friendly kind of goofy comedies from the late 70s, early 80s. Huh. So, on that note, before we uh, hit them with the information and where they can get a hold of us and all that good crap... I uh this is the point where I will be inserting. That voicemail feedback line is 206-736-7460. One more time to leave voicemail feedback for the Forgotten Flicks Podcast 206 736 7460. And remember, long distance charges may apply. And that was the number. I'm sure it matched <laughs> up perfectly. <laughs> so, yes, that was the number that you can call to leave any kind of feedback messages. Yes, that's right. We're going back, back in time to the days of the feedback line. So if you're if you are so inclined, if you're still out there. Hammond, Tom, Doug, Peter, to think who else. Peter. Oh, God, I can't believe I do. <laughs> uh, uh, Dave, the uh, oh, yep. uh, uh, Defixer, any ah. of you. <laughs> <laughs> that are still out there that are so inclined that would like to leave us feedback. We would love it. And it'll be your chance to get on the show. And uh, and 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 depending on the next movie that we're going to cover, <laughs> should, should we say what it is? Or are we still up in the air on that? Did you ever happen to find a copy?
1: Well, I haven't found I haven't looked yet. Okay, but, well, we uh, were going to
0: do real. I'm just going to say it. Screw it. We were going to do yeah. Real Genius. So at the moment, it's Real Genius. That could change because apparently the only way I'm getting that is to buy it. And while I remember liking it, I'm kind of cheap, but I don't know if I feel like buying it. So we'll see. So at the moment, tentative real genius. So if you want to make a combat real genius. I know a lot of people love that. Uh, do you, did we ever say what our final movie was going to be before the spooky flicks? Film? We haven't said
1: it. We haven't said it. Should we say Not it?
0: Yet? Yeah, I think
1: we can. Yeah, our, screw our, it. Let's say it. <laughs> our final episode, our final regular episode. And when I say final, I mean, final. Hasta uh, la pasta. It, it, <laughs> the end uh, is stand by me. Dude, we're such idiots.
0: Why? We should have done The End, starring Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise. (laughs) No, no, no. We're, uh, no. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, Stand By Me is our final, quote-unquote, forgotten (laughs) flick. Oh. That's our last way to stick it to the people who apparently can't take a damn joke. It is.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, so yes, and then of course we'll have our, our few uh, spooky flicks. And then the plan yep. is to do a final sort of one of those shows, a la a eighty sitcom where they would sit at a table at the end of a show. And rather than actually having, you know, a wrap up to any kind of storyline, you would have these, these memories done memory. lane. Yeah. Do
1: like a recap. We're yeah. not going to cover a movie. You know, we're just going to talk about, uh, our favorite parts of the episode we're gonna t- uh, of the show, uh, some of our favorite episodes. Uh, yeah. So if you have
0: feedback for done. that, just, just make yep. sure when you, when you call in, you say, uh, this is feedback for the final, final episode, or if it's for one of the movies, Oh, this is for real genius. This is for stand by me, whatever. And we'll, we'll, uh, put it accordingly we'll shove it in accordingly. Absolutely. So my friend, would you like to tell them where they can find us and leave us awesome
1: reviews and goodness? Yes. By all means, go to iTunes and leave us a review. Even though we aren't going to be recording any new episodes, we still are keeping the show up and we'd love to have more people listen in uh, and enjoy our Shenanigans. Uh, so leave us a review, give us a rating uh, on iTunes. Also, you can check out all of our other stuff at forgottenflicks.com. That's flicks with an X. We've got all kinds of other reviews, and uh, our Facebook stuff is on there, Twitter stuff is on there, all that jazz. Uh, so that's our best way to find us.
0: I believe it is. And on that final note, would you like to have the final word?
1: Take me to the volcano.